After months of waiting, there is finally light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel with the emergence of three new vaccines. Welcome to Novant Health Healthy Headlines. I'm Gina DiPietro. In this episode, Roland Wilkerson speaks to Dr. Charles Berger, Novant Health Medical Director of Corporate Health, about the safety and necessity of these promising new vaccines. So first, let's just talk a little bit overall about the incredible success story behind vaccines. I think there's been a lot of attention around people who question their safety, but the reality is the vast majority of Americans uh, get vaccines and trust them for themselves and their children. Is, is that your experience as a physician? It's absolutely the, the, the truth that vaccines are very safe and very helpful. And if you look over the history of vaccine development through the last 100 or 150 years, it's really come a long way with a tremendous emphasis on safety and you know, extensive studies that are usually done to make sure that they're safe. And you also have to think about the fact that We've learned a lot about vaccine development and learned a lot about do's and don'ts about what's safe and what's not so safe. So, you know, based on, you know, what we've learned for so long, it helps influence the approach to new vaccine development to make them much safer. And then you think about the the approval process with, you know, stage one, stage two, and stage three trials that get to be larger and larger and larger in terms of number of participants. And if there's any significant adverse effects among anyone, they often stop and look hard to see if there's anything that really could clearly link uh, a bad side effect or a bad outcome with the vaccine, as opposed to what happens in the world at large. You know, like, you know, for example, people get in car crashes all the time or fall off a ladder or have things happen. And so there is a certain incidence of infections and illnesses and injuries that happen all the time. And so when you're looking at adverse effects or possible adverse effects of a vaccine, you need to look and see what are the statistical risks of having that adverse outcome in the general population and compare that with the incidence maybe happening in the trial population that's received the vaccine to see if there's a difference. Because if there's not a difference, then it's very difficult to make any assumption uh, or assertion that there's a relationship between the two. And we know that healthcare workers are going to be among the first who get the vaccine. So they are putting themselves out there on this, which I guess is, a you know, obviously a vote for their confidence in the safety of the vaccine. Yes. And I think that from what I have heard and just doing some polling of, of, of co-workers and people that I talk to within Novant and across healthcare, that the vast majority of people are very interested and receptive getting the vaccine, especially because COVID not only does it have a, a one to two percent mortality rate, but it also has a significant you know, morbidity rate in terms of long-term illnesses and recuperation periods and possibly, you know, prolonged, you know, lung disease, other problems that could go on for a long time. And so we want to avoid all that as much as we can. I think it's also good to think back to the fact that there's been a lot of hysteria that's been developed about 
vaccines and, you know, possible adverse effects. And for almost all of them, especially ones that have been developed in the last 50 to 70 years, it's really not borne out to have any real validity. So, you know, you hear some things, used to hear some things back in the 70s and 80s and 90s about does the MMR shot cause autism? And the answer is no, it doesn't. There's never been a well-done study that showed any relationship between them. Vaccines save lives many more times at a much greater scale than any illness they may cause, which is extremely rare. Are you getting a lot of questions from friends and family about the coming vaccine? A lot, yes. People are asking me, what do I think about it? And I say, I think it's very safe. I think there was over 40,000 people in both the Pfizer trial and the Moderna trial, and no significant adverse effects noted in any of them several months after the trial has been concluded. And that's when you would expect to see adverse effect to be within the first month or two. So there's no bad effects that have been seen. And people say to me, would you take the vaccine? And I'll say, absolutely. The first day the vaccine is offered to me, I will stand in line to get it because I don't want to get COVID. I know that the likelihood of me getting severely ill or even dying is, is a million times greater perhaps literally a million, if not 100,000 times greater from the, from the COVID virus than it is from uh, a very safely manufactured vaccine that's made from you know, inactivated um, genetic reproductions of different parts of the virus. So much has become politicized around this. What do you say to people who wonder... How can we trust the government to get this right? So basically, I think CDC and FDA and WHO, so both national and international, widely respected and reputable organizations, take a good, hard look at this. And they are the ones who really hold the drug manufacturing companies who are developing these accountable for the results and for accuracy. I know that um, Pfizer a week or two ago basically asked for their emergency use authorization from CDC and FDA, and Moderna has similarly done so a couple of days ago. They will look very hard at all the data and all the reports and you know, all the information from all the people in these studies to make sure that they truly are safe. I truly believe that our government and CDC and FDA really have what's best for me and what's best for us in mind. I don't think that they want to do anything to uh, cause anything bad to happen to me or, or anyone in this country. Conversely, they want to save lives and protect lives and improve health. That's what everything has become. And, and the proof is in looking to see what has happened in, in medicine over the last couple of generations. You look at life expectancy and you look at quality of life. Both have increased and improved dramatically. The majority of people who are born today are expected to have, you know, lifespans of up to 100 years now. Well, that, you know, was very rare a couple of decades ago. And it's because of all the initiatives and things we've done to make us healthier. And a lot of that has to do with preventing diseases like measles, mumps, rubella, influenza, COVID, all kinds of things that, that vaccines are made to prevent.
And to your point, the experts making these recommendations, they're scientists and doctors. So they're not the they're not the political side of government. They are they are doctors and scientists. Yes, that, that, that's exactly right. So it's doctors and scientists for the working for the drug companies for developing these. It's doctors and, and scientists for you know FDA and CDC and WHO and others who have tremendous knowledge and experience in vaccine development and vaccine trials and adverse effects and, and all those considerations that are taken very seriously and really dissected as much as can be done regarding safety and efficacy. And so if you encounter a patient who's on the fence about this and there's just a lot of apprehension and anxiety in the world right now, if somebody's not sure whether or not they want to get the vaccine, what do you say to them? It has been clearly identified that a number of different subsets of our population are at significantly higher risk of severe illness and or death if they get COVID. You know, so that involves people with a variety of chronic illnesses, people who are over age 65, people who have any underlying lung disease, people who are immune compromised or taking immune suppressive medications, people who are, you know, significantly overweight, really obese in, in particular. All these people are at significantly greater risk. And as a, as a medical professional, I would sit down and discuss their relative risk with them if they were to contract COVID-19. So conversely, if you're talking to a 20-year-old, and I think that, you know, to talk about, you know, young adults in the, in the 18 to 20 to 25 range, while we are seeing the, the biggest increase in incidence of COVID is in young adults, fortunately for most of them, unless they have, you know, comorbidities that, that I mentioned a minute ago, can have or tend to have milder disease and will do fine with it. So if I was talking to uh, a 20-year-old who really has no risk factors and they really were opposed to the vaccine, perhaps no, for no valid scientific reason, just because it's a shot and they don't like needles or whatever the reason may be, I think as long as they understand, understand the risk and what their relative risk is, that's an, an informed decision they can make. But certainly for the millions, the probably hundreds of millions of Americans who are at increased risk of a bad outcome, all of those people should get the COVID vaccines. When it comes to younger people who probably have an excellent chance of riding it out, might your recommendation to them be that they should still get the shot because you're being a good citizen by helping control the spread of of COVID-19. That's absolutely true. And perhaps to make it hit home a little bit more is that, you know, the, that 20-year-old to 25-year-old probably has a parent or aunt or uncle or other family members or other people that they're close to that they'd like to see and would like to continue to see who actually are at much greater risk. And if they get COVID or and transmit it to them, they could put that person at very high risk. And aside from that, we're seeing lots and lots of people who are completely asymptomatic with COVID. So, you know, a 20-year-old who may not be as engaged in an understanding 
in the importance of social distancing and facial coverings and hand hygiene uh, and is actually out and about going to restaurants, going into stores, being close to people, hugging a lot of different people, high-fiving people, uh, playing a lot of basketball or other contact sports uh, in, in an uncontrolled setting. Um, a, a large number of them may never have any symptoms at all. And they go and see grandpa or grandma feeling just fine. But, you know, they know they've been 100, around 100 people the previous week uh, in uncontrolled settings, and they may be an asymptomatic carrier of COVID. And then grandma gets it, and grandma has a bad outcome. Would you agree that if, if we all want life to get back to quote-unquote normal, getting, getting the vaccine is going to be one of the key steps along with masking and social distancing? Yeah, it really is. So one of the you know, one of the key concepts that people come back to regarding kind of getting control as COVID is the whole concept of herd immunity, or the fact that has been proven that you know in in a herd or a population, especially when the herd or the population is in relatively close proximity to each other, diseases tend tend to be transmitted rampantly throughout the population when there's a very low incidence of that disease, and especially if in that population, the immunes, the collective immune systems of the population has never seen this virus, in this case COVID-19, has never seen it before. So our immune systems really don't have much in there that's kind of been priming our immune system to get ready and know how to fight it very well, which is why it's been it's spread so wildly and has had so many people get so sick with it. So in order to develop herd immunity, depending on the virulence and infectiousness of the biologic agent, the virus, the bacteria, whatever, it's really thought to need to be at least 70% of the herd or the population needs to have been exposed and developed immunity, whether it's from exposure to disease and developed natural immunity or they've received they received the vaccine and have been able to get the uh, uh, to boost their immune system through that passive introduction of the uh, viral material or the some some variation of the uh, uh, replicated viral material into their system to start the immune response. In some instances, it's thought to be as high as 90%. Don't really know what that number will be. So I saw an interesting article in uh, one of the national publications uh, a few days ago that um, speculated that, you know, we don't really know how many Americans have really had had it yet. We know that we're up to like, what, 20 million Americans or something like that have been tested positive for it. But it's thought that it could be eight or 10 times as many have actually had it. So it could be over 100 million people, 100 million Americans have had COVID-19 by now. So if, if there's 400 million Americans and we need it to be 75%, that's 300 million Americans need to be vaccinated or have had the disease. I don't really want to have a large percentage of that get the disease because that means hundreds of thousands more may die from it to get protection for those other, you know, one or 200 million Americans. So let's get the vaccine and get herd immunity out there. When we get herd immunity, and we get to that 70, 80, 90% of our population, then the chance of getting it from someone that you're just passing out there will be much less. 
That's not to say that social distancing and hand hygiene and better attention to sanitation is going to go away. It's not. Some of these changes are need to stay with us to help protect us from all kinds of infectious diseases, whether it's COVID or influenza or the common cold or who knows what's going to come along next year or 10 years from now. You know, when it comes time for public distribution of the vaccine, check with your Novi Health provider. Each state has prepared their own plan for how they anticipate distributing the vaccine when it comes out. And in North Carolina, there's about, uh, there's actually five different tiers from one through four, but tier one has 1A and 1B. 1A is most essential, most essential frontline workers, um, EMS personnel, you know, people who are out there in the trenches, as well as most essential, the most essential healthcare personnel who are exposed to COVID. That's, and, uh, I think a long-term care staff are all have been listed as 1A. And then 1B is a bigger list of people, including people with chronic illnesses and a, a broader, much broader group of healthcare workers. And then it goes to two, three, and four. So you can find that information and look at it in your own state. But whenever you become eligible, I would certainly recommend that you go ahead and get your your COVID vaccine. Most of them are, are a, a, a dual vaccine or two vaccine series that are given three or four weeks apart. My understanding is one of them uh, that's coming along later might be a single vaccine, but that's not one of the early ones coming along so far. Certainly, please go get your vaccine whenever it's available. Do it for yourself. Do it for your loved ones. Do it for your at-risk family members. Do it for your community. Gina DiPietro here again. To recap, three promising new vaccines have emerged to tackle COVID-19. As Dr. Berger explained, not only should we have faith in the research and testing that went into them, Getting the vaccine when it's available to you protects yourself, your loved ones, at-risk family members, and your community. For more practical health tips and information, search Novant Health Healthy Headlines. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us and subscribe to this and all the Novant Health podcasts. Thank you for listening.